You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to us on America's Web Radio. I'm super excited about today's show. I have the most amazing guest. I'm sure many of you have already heard of him. If you haven't, the first thing you need to do is go to your Instagram account right now and follow Inky Johnson Motivate. That's Inky is I-N-K-Y Johnson Motivate. And you need to follow him every day. It's the first thing I do every day in the morning. I get up, I go to my Instagram, I go to Inky's uh, Instagram page, and I see what words of wisdom he has. A lot of times he'll have um, one of his motivational speaking uh, episodes on there, and it's truly inspirational. And I know last week we were talking about how life comes at you in ways that we don't expect and how while we're making our plans, our plans don't often turn out the way we had hoped and we're often left disappointed and depressed and you know we talked about the fact that when God closes a door he opens a window and there's always a way forward and you need to find the strength to keep moving forward and we need to be there for each other uh, to, to move each other forward and we, we you know we know we've come off a tough year with COVID a lot of people have anxiety over the election results but as my father used to say If you think about the world's problems, it will drive you crazy, and there's nothing you can do about them. But what you can do is take care of the people in front of you. And that's what we want to talk about in this show is about how to keep in perspective that it's not about what you want. It's about what God wants for you and really discovering his plan for you. And there's nobody really better to talk about that than Inky Johnson, who at a time in his life, was one of the greatest college footballs in America, playing for the University of Tennessee. He was headed to the NFL. He basically had on a platter every young man's dream um, before him. And then on one fateful tackle, everything changed. And it would have crushed a lot of people, but not Inky. Today, he's one of the most successful motivational speakers in the world. And... um, I'm so thankful that he's taken some time out today to come and share him. He normally is doing 100 or 200 uh, spots around the country, motivational speaking tour, um, and he's really amazing. And so I'm going to do a little less talking. And Inky, welcome Mm -hmm. to the show. No, thank you so much. It's an extreme honor and privilege to be on. Think the world of you, man, and this is awesome. So Inky and I met actually... uh, few months back uh you're 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 actual cousins with big block right right yeah so big block spencer is a friend of mine a patient of mine he's a grammy award-winning music producer and uh, we started a big timers foundation where we're trying to mentor young kids and and give kids the opportunity to emulate other successful people in the world and um Block introduced me to Inky, who I had already known because I'd seen him on Facebook and Instagram and other things. And and he walked into my practice, and I was in uh, you know Block's like, "Hey, this is Inky Johnson." I was like, "I know who you are," and I remember thinking to myself, "That was a dumb thing to say." <clears throat> anyway, um, so Inky and I have been kind of working on some things together. And in light of last week's show, where we were talking about perseverance and overcoming adversity, I thought to myself. Um, Inky, let me let me give him a call and see if he can come. And uh, so here he is. And listen, I I have always wondered. You know, I, I was talking to my my um, audience about my professional career ending 
because I just wasn't good enough, and it was a shock when I found out. And, and it was one of the worst times of my life. I mean, I remember sucking my thumb up in my dorm room in college, and you know, I, my whole life of 17, 18 years, I was Scott the soccer player, and now I was realizing that was not God's plan for me. What is it like when you actually had it, you had that one hit, and you, you know what went through your mind? You're thinking that this just happened. Absolutely. It was surreal. You know, I'll never forget. Uh, I always tell people the day was September 9th, 2006. And I was in a position to where I was supposedly eight games away from becoming a draft pick, first round draft pick. And I tell people all the time, like, I prepared the same way. Pre-game, I listened to the same music. Phil Collins, I could feel it coming in the air tonight. Right. I went out. I did the same routine on the field. Nothing was different except the outcome from my tackle. And I'll never forget at the point of contact when I hit him, I had never felt this feeling before, but had been in a lot harder collisions. And when I hit him, it seemed as if my soul left my body. Right. It seemed as if everything in me just left. My body went limp. I fell to the ground. I blacked out. And when I woke up, my guys were saying, Ink, let's go. And I was like, man, I, I can't. And it's like, what do you mean you can't? You always go. Like, you're our guy. Let's go. And I was like, I can't feel anything. And a couple of hours later, I was in the emergency room, and I was fighting for my life because I had ruptured my subclavian artery in my chest, and it ended my career. But it took a while to accept that. Like I tell people all the time, I remember going to sleep early every day thinking this was a bad dream. Like, it couldn't be real, right? Because... You know, even though you know that you can work for something, you can do something, and you can lose it in the blink of an eye, you never really think you're going to encounter that moment. And so when you encounter that moment, it's kind of like, oh, man, like, this can't, this can't be, right? And so it took a while to accept it, even though I was still functioning in the midst of the adversity. It took a while for me to come to peace with it. So, you know, one of the other things, too, that people will talk to me about, and, and I've had this conversation many times, is when people face adversity and overcome adversity and we look at them like you and it's like we just admire you. You know, you're so talented in so many ways, but God just made you that way. It couldn't happen for me because God didn't give me the toughness, the the fortitude to do it. And, you know, I always think like people who persevere and succeed are regular people, too. You can do it, and you didn't just wake up one day and go, I'm Inky Johnson, the strongest guy in the world, and I'm just over it now, and I'm just going to move forward into next. It was a process, right? There's grieving and anger and denial and the same emotions that everybody feels. Just tell me about what that was like. Absolutely. Um, I was talking to a guy yesterday about this same thing, just about the process, because like I was saying, like as people, sometimes when we see a person or we see somebody doing well, we see somebody operating in their gift, their mission, their purpose, we think where we meet them at is where they've always been. Yeah. And we don't understand that it's a process in between that for them arriving to that point. And so for me personally, like I went through several stages and phases, but I had a lot of great people around me that helped me. That was vital in my development, that was vital in my perspective, that was vital in me going into an environment every single day and trying to bring the best. But the thing that I didn't lose the whole time was my perspective. And what I mean by that is every single day I would come into this environment like I care about people. And so regardless of how I was feeling outside of when I would go into my PT's office, regardless how I was feeling when I would go into the weight room, go into my training sessions, I would leave that at the door. 
right? Because I cared about the people that were coming to help me. And so I didn't want them to have a bad experience or feel as if, man, this guy's negative. He's complaining every single day. I had to keep that at the front of my mind as I worked throughout the process. And I cherished the people that helped me navigate it. But I was just like everybody else. I went through the phase of, man, I, I can't believe it. I went through the phase of, man, is this real? I went through extreme disappointment because, you know, I was a kid. I wanted to help my family. Yeah. And a lot of people had helped me get to that point. And so I felt as if I couldn't pay them back for what they had done for me. And they made me realize, like, man, the only thing we want from you is for you to use the things we've instilled in you and add value to the world. So the other thing, too, is at some point, I know I've had this experience as well, is you realize that um, you were made to be a football player. That was kind of your mindset, and, you know, you were really headed for the pinnacle and the whole thing. And then all of a sudden that, that was taken away, and then you had to go in another direction. How long did it take you to realize, hey, the same tools that made me a successful football player – I'm going to use the, I already have tools. Like that was kind of the thing is like, Hey, listen, I used to use them for this, but now I'm changing direction and I have the same tools available to me. Tell me about that. Yeah. It took, it took about a solid year for me to really realize it. But like in football, we used to call it carryover. And so carrying over the skills that you apply every single day to other areas and aspects of your life to make you somewhat decent or successful at whatever you pursue and whatever you try to do. And so it took me about a year to where I started really tapping into, you know, the things I was trying to do, the things I was trying to accomplish, and the spirit that I already possessed. And so I would tell people all the time, like, my arm and my hand got paralyzed. My heart didn't. Like, my arm and my hand got paralyzed. My mentality didn't. My dedication, my commitment, my ethos, right, the thing that makes me who I am it never got paralyzed. The thing that gets me up every single day, that never got paralyzed. And so even though I had a paralyzed right arm and hand at the time and still do, right, the thing that made me who I am as a man, it never got touched. And so all I had to do was tap into it and activate it. But it took about a year for me to tap into that and really start to carry that over into other areas and aspects of my life. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing, right? When you're, when you're trying to talk to people about how to be successful in life, mm-hmm. there's no piece of advice there's no trick where you get to skip over the part where you don't have to do hard work where you don't have to be unhappy where you don't have kind of depression or anxiety and all that Mm -hmm. everybody goes through that you just have to accept that's part of the journey and if you want to get to the other side you're going to have to go through it now my my daughter this was a few months back we were she was doing a project on the computer Mm -hmm. and uh so we had been working on it, and, you know, my, my daughter's very, you know, she's got to get her straight A's, and mm-hmm. she's almost too anxious about her grades, you know, and I'm always trying to tell her, listen, you don't, don't get an A in middle school, it's not going to be the end of your life, you know. But um, we're doing this work, and uh, all of a sudden, the computer doesn't work, and mm-hmm. she lost all the work we had done, because she hadn't been learned you got to press save, save every two absolutely. minutes. You write a sentence, press save. save. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And she lost her mind. And I remember that happening to me in college. You know, the I was writing a paper one time, and the power went down and went, and I looked at the computer. I was like, what just happened? Like, it's gone, you know? And I, So I know that feeling of like, no, I have to do all this work again. So she was losing her mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt bad for her. Absolutely. But, you know, I just kind of tapped into my dad. Yeah. And I just told her, like, listen. You know, that happens. You there's probably nobody on the planet that hasn't happened to, mm. you know. Now you've learned the lesson. You got to press that save button. And here's another thing. You can cry and scream all you want is not going to get that work done. So, 
take a minute, get it out, yep. and then when you're ready, let's sit down and just get Absolutely. going again. Because you know, and she's fussing. I come back in. I was like, "Are you ready?" No, I'm not ready. I was like, "Okay, take another minute, but let me know when you're ready to go." You know, and you know, we all kind of need that. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Because it's not like I have that in my own life too. And I've you know, I've been in a room punching the walls yeah. and and all the rest of it. But at some point, I can tell myself, "Okay." I know nothing's going to change unless I start. So I'm going to take that first step and then the second step and then the third step. And then pretty soon you're in the journey. And isn't that really what the life is all about, right? It's you hear it. It's cliche, but it's so true. All of my satisfaction when I look back is about the journey, not the accomplishment. You know, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, you're going to be this NFL superstar that goes away, but. You still are a superstar in a different kind of way. Tell me how how that feels. Absolutely. I think what you're saying is so true. And, like, as people, we have to remember that because it's vital. And it's the culmination of the things that we go through that makes us who we are as people. And so I always say to people, like, when you face opposition, when you face adversity, when you face challenges, when you face uncertainty... Like Martin Luther King nailed it, right, on the quote when he says, like, you judge the character and caliber of a person not by where they stand in times of comfort and convenience. You judge the character and caliber of a person by where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. And a lot of times I think one of the things that we do as people when we face something that we don't expect, brings us a certain level of pain, it's hard, we try to understand it immediately, because that's how we're wired as people. We want to understand, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? Oh, no, this can't be real. And it's cool. It's, it's natural emotion, right? It's raw. It's real. I get it. And I said to him, sometimes you can't focus on understanding it. You have to focus on surviving it. And so even with the time that we're in right now in the climate of the world, a lot of people are dealing with a tough time, man. Like, COVID has hit the world. A lot of people have had to shift, have a level of mental agility that they've never had to have. And they're trying to understand it. And I'm like, no, take that same energy and focus on surviving it. And once you survive the moment, now you got a level of perspective and you navigate it and you're over the hill. Now you look back and you try to understand it and put the pieces to the puzzle and the emotions and you know what brought out what and why this was necessary for you. I think we've all been through things in life to where, like, when we go through it, we're like, man, like, this can't be real. And then you get a month down the line, two months down the line, a year down the line, two years down the line, and you look back, and you wouldn't change it for nothing in the world. And I think it speaks to that, what you're speaking of, is super necessary. Yeah, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King said it better than any anybody could ever with, uh, you know, you don't judge character Absolutely. when somebody's standing in comfort and convenience. Last week we were talking about, um, my father used to say, and it's a similar statement to what Dr. King was talking about, um, you, tough times don't test your character they reveal your character Absolutely. my father used to say and when your character is being revealed everybody's watching mm. and you know we all kind of have that instinct when we're in the middle of calamity you have these emotions of anger and and, uh, and fear and anxiety and you want to do all the weak things you want to cheat you want to you know you want to strike out you want to do all the things that um, that anybody would want to do Absolutely. in a certain situation and then I would hear my dad saying, you're in the middle of it right now. Tough mm. times are not going to test your character. They're revealing it. And who do you want to be revealed to be? And I actually say all of that in my head when I'm going through something. And it makes me step back and say, okay, how do I want to be revealed? Wow. And, you know, I've had, uh, a, you know, a ton of experiences in my life. I always like to tell this one just because it's so big to me. I'm a, 
I'm an ADD kind of guy. I cannot be in one spot for very long, you know. So when I was in medical school, we used to have to go to these surgeries that would last sometimes eight hours. Wow. And you'd just be stuck in there. You know, you just hear the boop, boop, boop. It was early in my career, so I didn't really understand how to do the mask and the goggles. So one minute in, it's already fogged up, so you can't hear anything, you can't see anything, and you can't move. It's because, you know, you're sitting there up against a table and a surgeon's working, and you're just there, and it's just you're looking at the clock, and it's just taking forever. And what used to happen is we would go there, and all the medical students would be out in front, and they would start assigning the surgeries. Mm. And you could get picked to be in the eight-hour surgery. You might get picked to go in the simple 10-minute surgery, mm. and then you'd have the rest of the day go study, hang out, or do whatever. Mm-hmm. And when they were picking the cases, people used to run to the bathroom or run to oh, the cafeteria yeah. and hide and wouldn't be there. And I wanted to, too. Yeah. I wanted to run and hide. But I wouldn't. I stood there out in the front, and I was praying to God, please don't let me get in one of those long surgeries. But I always did because, yep, you in the long surgery, and it hurt. And I'd go in there, and people really can't understand just how much torture that was for me. I mean, I, I wake up at night, and I think about, like, I could never do that again. Like, I just don't have it in me to do that again. But I am very proud of myself that every day I went out there, and I never ran to the bathroom. I took my chances. Um, and, and, you know, it's a small thing. But that's the other thing I'll talk to my daughters about is the way you get ready for the big things is practice in the small things. Mm. So when I was doing my jog, you know, I get to the end of my run and I get to the hill at my house, another 100 yards or whatever, and I could quit, Mm. but I'm not gonna. Mm. I'll always finish because I'm practicing not quitting. And it's a small thing. But it's habits, right? Absolutely. That's what gets you. That's, awesome. that's what gets you through the tough times is by having the habits, and you, you know it's almost like having a um, an emergency plan before you're in the emergency. You already know I'm going to go to this hallway, get the fire extinguisher, you know, and yeah. we're going to get out of the building. Well, that's what life is, right? We mm-hmm. practice every day to be the kind of person we want to be, and there's like an understanding that um, none of us is perfect, and that's we all right. have fear, we all have anxiety, we all have frailties, and so. When I was younger, I was more fearful because I didn't have life experience to tell me that the things my father was telling me were actually true. Mm. Good things come to people who work hard. When God closes the door, he opens a window. I was trusting my dad, but I didn't really believe it. And then over time, I started to believe it with my own mind because I'd had the experience. Like, no, it does work. You know, not everything works out for me, but eventually I find my place that God wants for me. And so now I'm in a position where my satisfaction is when the calamity hits, I want to help the other people around me. Mm. It's not bad. Come on. Get yourself focused. You know, square yourself away. Let's go. It's going to be okay. And and then that's what brings me peace mm. and joy now. And, I mean, you're in a position right now where you touch, you know, millions of lives every day. What does that kind of responsibility feel like to you, and what kind of joy does that give you? Man, that is, like, that's so awesome. Like, as I was listening to you, it's so wild how life works. A 21-year-old kid called me yesterday, and he said, Inky, can I ask you a couple of questions? And he was talking about the pursuit. He's at the point in his life to where he's having an aha moment, the epiphany. He's feeling (coughs) conviction about the things he wants to pursue, the process, if he's doing enough. And it spoke to exactly what you're speaking about. And we started talking about this process and how it reveals so many things, right? You have to be transparent. You have to be vulnerable. You have to look at your insecurities. You have to face your fears. You have to locate your ego. And he was like, what do you mean by locating my ego? 
And I said, you really can never kill your ego. I said, you'll hear people say, kill your ego. You can't. Your ego is a part of you. It's like when people say, forgive and forget. Like, you can forgive, but you'll never forget if something brought you a certain level of pain. I said, so when it comes to ego, you can't kill it because it's a part of who you are. We can talk submission of ego. I said, but the goal is to locate your ego in moments of anger. In moments of frustration, in moments of adversity, in moments of pain, right? The ability to learn is a gift even when pain is our teacher, right? In all of these moments, right? In moments of external stimuli, whatever the case may be, the goal is to locate our ego, right? And once we locate our ego, then we focus on purpose and mission. And how can we use this to add value to every environment I go into and every person's life that I come in contact with? And I firmly believe that that train of thought, subscribing to that every single day, has helped me navigate the adversity and opposition. Like you were speaking about, when things go wrong, you're like, come on, it's all good. Like, it's not as bad as we think it is. And I think one of the problems and challenges we have as people is we don't think we should have problems. And I always tell people, man, see it as it is, but not worse than it is. Right? When you look at it, face it, see it as it is, but not worse than it is, and try to use it when you get through it. Yeah, you know, the funny thing, too, is uh, talking about skill sets, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, at least when I was younger, I used to look at the strong person Mm -hmm. and say, well, God just made them that way. And if I had those tools, I could do it, too. And then you realize they don't have anything (laughs) that you don't have. They're fearful, too, but they just have learned to deal, uh, you know, to deal with things as it comes at them. And um, that is by no means what I'm trying to say is like. I'm not a perfect person, not even close. People who know me know, like, that guy's, you know, got all kinds of, he gets too quick to anger, and, you know, you get frustrated by stuff, and you get moody and stuff. Like, I, but the thing is, is I'm aware that I'm flawed, and I recognize it, and that's the thing is, I don't go around saying I'm not moody. No, I know I, I know I have, like, you know, somebody, you know, nobody thinks that I'm even-tempered. I'm not. I go from zero to a million. I've gotten better over the years, and I recognize it as a problem, but it's something I have to work through all the time. And then when I go into situations, I know that I have a certain personality type and that I have certain weaknesses, and I prepare for that. Like, don't put myself uh, in a situation that's going to freak me out. Like, when I operate, I have to focus on what I'm doing, and nothing else matters. That's what I do. So I know, don't make me an appointment to be across town mm-hmm. when I got to operate. Like, that's just dumb because I'll right. be sitting there anxiety <laughs> about I got more time and I got to be somewhere. Yeah. And I know it puts me in a bad spot. So I have a rule. I don't ever have any uh, appointments on an operative day. You wow. know, I just do it. It's just something I know about myself. And I'm setting myself up for success because I'm learning, you know, who I am. And, that's um, awesome. And, and also kind of understanding, like, there are some things about us we can't fix. Absolutely. You know what I mean? There are certain things you have anxiety about. Yeah. i never not going to have anxiety about sharks. Mm. There's just nothing I can do about it. You know, I think about uh, Bethany Hamilton, you know, the, the young little Absolutely. girl got her Absolutely. arm bitten off yeah, by a shark. Yeah. The stitches come out, mm-hmm. and she's in the water. As soon as the stitches come out, like a couple weeks later, man, when I was growing up in Hawaii, I saw the movie Jaws. I didn't go surfing for a year. You know what I mean? I'm just like, people are wired differently. Differently, Absolutely. You know, and that's kind of brings me to the other thing that has been really important to me, uh, especially of late, is, you know, my father always talking about you can't solve the world's problems, but you can solve problems for the people that are right in front of you. Absolutely. So figure out a way to be a good person to people, just a smile 
And I mean, that's one thing I know about you. You you have literally the happiest face all the time. I mean, you look like God is in you and is content, and it's infectious. You know what I mean? Thank you. And um, it's important to that. And I talk to my staff about that, that how you respond to people in an email uh, or in a good morning or whatever, it sets the tone for that person's next interaction. That sets the tone for the other person. And, you know, you just don't know how much a little courtesy, a little grace, um, a little encouragement goes to changing the world around you. And I'm always kind of promoting in my in my practice about being good teammates because hmm. we all are down at times Absolutely. and we all have obstacles at times and we need to be with each other, which brings me to kind of my next thing is, hmm. you know, I can do things in my community, you and me and Block and others together and big timers trying to help young people. That's tangible and that's real. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can turn on the news and feel like everybody hates everybody all the time, but that's not really true in our communities. You know, the reality is most of us want a safe place to live. We want our kids to, you know, be able to play their sports and music and do their activities and have opportunity and all the rest. And we mm-hmm. are the leaders that we're waiting for, right? Absolutely. We're the people who are going to get a no, you know, we're not waiting for some other entity to come over and take care of our problems. We need to do it together. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Man, um, I love what you said. I just got to touch on this point. I love what you said about, you know, your father telling you about, you know, making the world a better place, making people you know, better. My grandmother used to say it to me like this, Inky, just make sure you sweep in front of your own front door. Right? <laughs> exactly. Sweep in front of your own front door. What she was saying was make sure you got your household straight, make sure your stuff is taken care of before you critique, before you try to tell somebody how to do something. But I think it's it's so true in terms of like what you're speaking of with the world, with being a change. Like there's a quote that says if you want to impact, if you want to change the world, you know, love your family. Because that's where real change happens, right? Like in my life, I always tell people what made me the man that I was, you know, when I was coming up, the young man that I was when I was coming up, and what has shaped and molded me into the man that I now am is the investments of people at an early age when they didn't have to. It was a lot of people that helped me, you know, because I was in an environment, man, I was exposed to a lot. I was seeing some of everything, and I'm thankful for it because it showed me both sides of life. But I had a coach at a young age. I had a teacher at a young age. People that just helped me, you know, out of the kindness of their heart. They weren't entitled to me. They didn't have to help me. They got up and went to work every day like everybody else. They didn't have to come see this kid on the east side of Atlanta, bring him drawers and socks. They didn't have to pour into me. Like, I felt no obligation to them to help me, but they did. And when they did it, like, that stuck with me. Right. Like I never wanted to let him down. I'm a loyal person. And so even the work that I do in the places I go, even today, there's a quote that says I stand as one, but I, I come as 10,000. Right. And what that means is I am the manifestation of the people that have poured in me and shaped and molded me into the individual that I now am. Like I tell my children all the time, when you go out into the world, you represent a lot more than yourself. You represent the people that believe in you, that see stuff in you that you can't see in yourself. Most importantly, you represent your family. And I tell them, I'm going to give you something more important than than anything materialistic and superficial. Not that those things aren't great. I'm going to work to give you a good last name. 
by the way I treat people, the decisions, the choices I make, and what I try to do in the world every single day. And I think that's a great thing when you have a purpose and a mission to make an impact that's a lot greater than you. Yeah, it's much more motivating in life, too, when you're working for somebody else than when you're working for yourself. And, you know, I talked to my my daughter. I know I've brought this up on the show before. She'll ask me about how I built my my practice and everything. And she you know, how did you do it? Absolutely. And I told her, you know, I didn't set out to do anything. I just set out to be the best possible doctor I could and to be a good person. When I say be a good person, it's, you know, you get in a lot of business relationships and, and other relationships Sorry. that, um, you know, we were talking about this earlier. In any relationship, you know, as soon as you and I start talking and coming up with a plan, you have a vision of what it is mm-hmm. and I have a different vision of Absolutely. what we just talked about. And when we, either of us, start to see that vision change it brings anxiety to us and that creates conflict in us and if we can kind of understand that a gift and what we try to do is figure out what is bringing the anxiety level up in the person that you're trying to have a relationship with whether it's business or family or your wife or your kids or whatever and if you can figure out a way to decrease their anxiety then they come back to you and then you guys can see eye to eye and move forward but it's mm. it takes time to kind of be aware of yeah. i know when i have meetings with people as soon as we walk around away or you know walk away from the table we just heard two different things mm-hmm. cuz people are always thinking of things from their own perspective Absolutely. and um <clears throat> One of the things, too, that kind of got me uh, going when I started, when I met Block, mm-hmm. was his life and my life are so different. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I always think about I, the greatest gift maybe I ever got was a father to tell me mm-hmm. how to be a man. And I always think to myself, what would my life be like? What would I be like if I didn't have somebody in there? that was encouraging me when I was really weak and and telling me it was going to be okay when I didn't know. And, you know, you you hear Block's testimony. He's like, the first time I ever had my own bed was when I went to prison when I was 17. Well, man, that's that's a perspective that I can't even relate to. Like, that obstacle is just so monumental, which kind of is the next thing is, no matter what you're going through, everybody has a cross to bear. Everybody's carrying something. Nobody has that perfect life or every advantage you know in the world and i want to talk a little bit about you know you did get a disability Mm -hmm. you know your right arms doesn't work for you and i want to talk to you about how you dealt with that and how that affects your everyday life when we come back from this uh Right. You listen to Docs the for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. 
So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Everybody, welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio, and we have our guest today, Inky Johnson. Uh, Inky Johnson, uh, for those of you who had missed the first part of the show, um, he is uh, currently a motivational speaker. You need to go on to Instagram. Inky Johnson Motivate is his, um, is his uh, Instagram page. He's one of the most inspirational people you'll ever meet. This guy was... Um, raised in Atlanta. Um, he was uh, one of the best high school football players around, got recruited to the University of Tennessee, where he was uh, one of the best college football players. He was eight games away from being a first-round draft pick in the NFL, and, and you know, really, he had, had achieved the dream, or so he thought. And as he tells the story, he made one tackle, uh, he prepared for that game the same way he prepared for every other game. Everything was the same. He went into the tackle, which he said was a routine tackle. And in that moment, his life changed. Uh, he was paralyzed. Uh, he tore a major artery in his upper chest, and he woke up in the emergency room. He almost died. His right arm became paralyzed, and he almost lost his life. And God had a different plan for him. And instead of becoming the NFL superstar that he was destined to be, he ended up becoming a motivational speaker. And Inky is, uh, when you see him, you realize that God actually does have a plan that he made Inky for, for this particular reason. He's one of the most inspirational people that I've ever met. It's not just his story and his wisdom. But it's the way he talks, his cadence. He, he, you can see that God is in him. He has a glow around him. Um, he's always the happiest person around. Um, and we have been just talking about all show that uh, there's nothing special about you in the sense you don't have any superpowers to uh, make you deal with adversity any, any better than anybody else. It's just you have a mindset of understanding that it's not about you. It's about what God wants for you. And having the perseverance and the willing to just keep moving forward. And it's okay to have those that moment to be angry and to be fearful and to be anxious and to be depressed. So long as you deal with those emotions, you keep moving forward, and then you get yourself focused on what the next, um, what the next uh, goal is. And, you know... I love the story about Bethany Hamilton, the soul surfer. I grew up in Hawaii surfing, and so, you know, this girl, 13 years old, got her arm bitten off, and, I mean, she became a professional surfer. And until I saw her do that, I would have told you it is not possible Mm -hmm. for somebody to surf with one arm. Just the, the, the physical necessity of needing two hands to kind of push yourself up on the board. And yet, somehow, she made it happen, and it's just... 
I, there was a scene in the movie they made a movie about her called Soul Surfer and she's asking her father why did this happen to me why did God take this away from me take everything from me and he says to her he didn't take everything from you hmm. you still have a family that loves you and she goes well what am I supposed to do now and he said you need to listen hmm. and she said listen for what and he said listen for what comes next and I think we all kind of I really that one really spoke to me because sometimes you don't know you know it's like I know what I want I wanted to be a pro soccer player. I want to, in my next life. I want to be Ronaldo or Messi. Um, but you know what? That's not what he wanted for me, and I just kind of had to listen. So you're here. And, you know, I always say, my father once told me, "Oh, you should write a book about what you went through to come to medical school and everything." And I'm like, Dad, I've seen so many people with actual real life tragedies and 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 obstacles that they've overcome that things that I've done in my life really seem inconsequential. Here you are, you literally having the dream that that very few people ever get and you're right there. I mean, you're in a stadium, you got thousands and thousands of fans cheering. I mean, it's almost like getting you're just like this is old hat to me. It's not even that <laughs> exciting, you know what I mean? And now I'm going to the NFL and just like that that's not only taken away, but you can't use your arm and maybe you might not live. Tell me about that and tell me what your disability is like right now. Like, how does that affect your day? Man, it it was um, in the moment. It was surreal because I went in. A lot of people don't know this. I went in thinking that they were just going to repair the artery yeah. because I had ruptured the artery, yeah. you know, and they saw that on the test. But when I woke up, you know, I had six incisions down my left thigh. Had an incision across the left side of my neck, incision across the right side, twice through my right ribs, cut out my right pec, bottom of my arm to the bottom of my hand, and 350 staples in my body, and bandages from my neck to my knees. And, you know, I thought when I woke up I was going to have something down my chest. And when I woke up, it was kind of like, man, what's, what what's all of this, right? And it was like, yeah, when we went in, we noticed you had torn the nerves and your brachial plexus. And that's when they started, you know, revealing to me that, your arm probably would never be the same. Football career is probably over. And I'm still thinking, like, nah, I'm going to just go back to work and I'll be good. Yeah. Like, you know, because I had never encountered something of this nature. But also, every piece of opposition and adversity that I had faced in my childhood, I somehow navigated it and got through it. Even when I was first one in my family to go to college, like somebody was asking me, Inc., we know you're a man of faith. What does faith mean to you? I said, so the biblical definition is faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. I get that. I said, but what faith has always represented to me was everything is going to be okay. No matter how bad it gets, rough it gets, right? I can acknowledge my feelings, but it's going to work out. Somehow it's going to work out and it's going to be okay. And so I was thinking, and I'll get back to playing ball. I hear him. But I got faith, and I'll never forget a reporter wrote an article. I was in Rochester, Minnesota, sitting in the lobby at the Mayo Clinic, and somebody sent it to me. And it said, Inky Johnson, you know, is going about this in a pretty cool way, and he's acting as if he knows something that everybody else doesn't. And I was like, well, I don't know anything. It's just my faith and my optimism. Now, fast forward to when I started to live with a paralyzed right arm and hand. That was challenging. Because my whole life, I'm a self-starter, right? I didn't like to bother anybody for anything, didn't like to ask people for things. And for the first time in my life, I really had to ask people to help me, right? And that was that was hard, you know, because I'm a guy, I stick to myself, I do my work, I put my head down. And when I had to ask people, 
fortunately for me, you know, people were nice. People went out of their way. Like my roommates went in my closet, tied all my shoes, and things like that in the early phases, they matter. And so for me, man, it was it was tough adjusting to my disability, but I think the thing that helped shift my focus was the fact that I wanted to use it more than anything. Like people ask me all the time, Inky, why didn't you get your arm amputated, right? And I tell them about the process that they put me in to see if anything was going to come back, any regeneration was going to come back. And they're like, why didn't you just cut it off and I'm like because I think it serves a greater purpose than me you know when people see me when people see my arm they're intrigued and they want to understand all right what's the what's the story behind that and so for me I look at it as a vessel that God can use to add value and impact people's lives by their curiosity so how hard was it for you to you know learn to do everything left-handed you know uh, I just in this movie Soul Surfer Mm -hmm. with Bethany Hamilton you know you, you realize like it's one thing to, you know, kind of think about not using the hand, but when you don't have it, it's amazing how oh, many man. things we do that actually we're used to doing two hands. How, what was that like? Yeah. Where just the simple things just frustrate Absolutely. You. Yeah. <clears throat> so I would say the hardest thing was the handwriting. Yeah. But everything else, just being wired as an athlete and, you know, with the challenge, like you say, your father told you early on, you can cry about it. You can whine about it. It's not going to change a thing. All right, let's go. And so for me, that was kind of my thought process. That was similar to how I was raised, you know, with my mother. All right, Inky, you can acknowledge the situation for what it is, but after you acknowledge it, let's get going. And so when I would go into disability services and I'm trying to use my left hand to do things, I looked at it more more of as, as a challenge, you know, and how can I navigate this challenge, you know, to make me a better person. And so, but the handwriting was really tough because it went from me being able to sign my signature, do certain things, to now when I looked at my handwriting, it looked like a five-year-old kid. Yeah. yeah. So when, uh, obviously you didn't wake up one day and just go, well, I guess this isn't going to happen. It was a process of uh, when did you kind of come to terms with the NFL career wasn't going to happen, and then how did you shift gears? Yeah, so um, I would say about a year and a half later, and I was still doing service projects. And so I knew the things I needed to do, the places I needed to be in to help me cope, And to get through it, I needed to be around my teammates. I needed to be connected to service because that fulfilled me. And through service projects, just Habitat for Humanity, going to different places, you know, people would always say, hey, man, what happened to your arm? And it would just be, you know, real informal dialogue. And I would just tell them, oh, man, I had a football injury. No, but what happened? And I would look up, and it would be a crowd of people. And we would leave, and somebody would just say, hey, man, you need to speak. And I'd be like, no, I'm cool. Like, I'm not trying to speak. I want to be a coach. Well, I want to work with kids. And so I ran from it until one day me and my buddy Gerard Mayo, you know, he's a linebacker's coach for the Patriots. We were talking one day, and everything I had tried had failed. Everything I tried to control had failed. And I was like, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Everything I thought I was going to be doing, it doesn't work. And he was like, you need to speak, man. And I prayed. It was a simple prayer. I was like, Lord, people are saying... I need to do this. I don't know, but if it's your will for my life, I'll be obedient and let's go. And the reason obedience was so important to me is because, like it says, obedience is better than sacrifice. But more times than not, as people, we judge the level of sacrifice without first being obedient. I wanted to be obedient to what I felt like I was being called to do with my life. And so it was about a year and a half mark to where I started going everywhere, just sharing, you know, and it was it was helpful. It was like therapy. I get that question a lot, too, about, you know, <clears throat> uh, and, you know, I'm still working 
on my faith as a lot of Absolutely. people are. You know, I, I probably came to faith later in life when I got into medical school. And I just really started to see that the, a lot of people face, you know, what they call the unsolvable problems. You know, mm. you get a terminal diagnosis. I mean, there's nothing you're going to do to fix it. And there's enough of that going around where people are really suffering some amazing things. And I always noticed that people of faith are stronger. They're happier. Um, they're more content. And I'm, I remember thinking to myself, I want that for my kids. Mm. You know, and then I started working on my own faith. And, um, you know, my journey has been about um, really believing in it. You know, I, I uh, you know, T.S. Eliot and, and other things. I mean, I've really gotten to the point now where I've convinced myself that it's true. And now the working on your faith part is is really a work in progress. And so when people will ask me, like, what do you mean listen for what comes next? That's just yeah. dumb. You know, what does he come and talk to you? And I'm like, no, but he makes it known. You know what I mean? It, it, you, you just, you got to listen for the cues. And I mean, you're just telling me here, it's like people are coming up to you and saying, man, you need to speak. Like, that's pretty clear to me. And it's also kind of funny in a, what do you mean how you're going to know what God says? Sometimes he's pretty clear. I mean, I called you up last week. I was like, hey, man, you want to come on and do my show? And I talked to you a little bit about what we were going to do. And then I go to church and we're, the whole service is on Romans. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I That's sent it to you. Like, That's tell me that God doesn't have a plan. You know, and in Romans, we're just talking about that everybody has a gift and you need to find out what that gift is. And um and that's really what life is about, is Absolutely. service to others, figuring out what your gift is, touching the people around you, and it gives you contentment. I um, I was born to be an orthopedic surgeon. You know, it is not work for me. I had a friend that had a, had a bad farming accident and cut their finger off. I went to the emergency room last Friday. They called me up, uh, you know, it was evening time. And so I was like, yeah, man, I'll be right there. And I went in and, and took care of her. And, uh, you know, they were, this happens a lot. And they're just like, man, we're so sorry to bring you out on the weekend and all this and that. And I was like, you don't understand. Like, this is what I live for. This is, I am getting more out of this than you are. Like, I have contentment and joy. I'm thankful that I'm able to help you. And, 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 um, it's that service to others, right, that really brings you fulfillment. Like accomplishments for yourself, I mean, you know, they're great. Absolutely. And, I mean, we should all work towards them, and we do. But, you know, in the end, it's the journey. It's the people that you touch. That's what really makes me happy. And I'm getting, you know, I'm getting to that age now. I'm sure you, you do it as well, you know, where it's your teammates. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And the people that were in, in it with you that you have those relationships that go on forever, that's what you cherish, and they run into issues, right? Absolutely. Either their own personal issues or they have problems with their kids or their Absolutely. wives. And, you know, we need each other. You know, we're, we're a herd animal. You know, <laughs> we, need, we need each other to get through this. Absolutely. And if you can find a way to, um, to, to be in service to others and to be generous, actually that's what gets you back things in your own life you know what i mean generosity and contentment and fulfillment and happiness um that comes from service to others absolutely and um it doesn't have to be big right you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. it starts i started off with just trying to be a good person and do the right thing and and when i would be in either business deals or whatever trying to see the other person's point of view and and try to be generous and um 
when they're they're assigning the surgeries. You know, I wanted to run, but I would stay out there and be out front. It was a way of service for me. Like, I'm not going to be somebody that hides out and force somebody else to get stuck. I'm going to be out there and take my chances with everybody else. And um, that's kind of the message that that, um, I want to put forth for people. Now, in your case, you're going to the NFL, you're dealing with a life-threatening illness, certainly a life-changing experience that most people never have to go through. How do you transition to like actually making a living at being a motivational speaker? That's yeah, kind of absolutely. intriguing to me. Yeah, so I'll never forget my first official uh, speaking engagement. I went to Mississippi, and this was still in the, all right, I'm being obedient, I'm trying to figure this thing out, fill it out. And I got an engagement in Mississippi, and I drove down at the time, and um, it was a 15-hour round trip. And I got back maybe 3 in the morning, and my wife waited up for me. And I walked in the house, and it was in, like, a field. Like, it was somewhere in somebody's barn, like something with some kids. And they asked me what I come, and I'm like, I'm being obedient. I'm going. 15 hours, get back home. My wife waited up. I walk in the door. She's like, how was it? How did it go? I was like, oh, it went great. She's like, what you get? Like, what they give you? And at the time, I wasn't asking for nothing. They was just asked where I come. And I was like, he gave me this cool coffee mug. Right? <laughs> and she was like, you sure? This is what you're supposed to be doing? And I was like, yeah, it felt right. I was like, it really did. Like, it felt right. Like, I got, I got that feeling. And she was like, okay, let's go for it. And from that point, you know, just started going to different places, developing my communication style understanding behavior science, understanding certain stories, indexing my stories to fit certain emotions and feelings that people wanted me to accomplish. And once I got to that point, I started working on my business structure, right? And what takes what, right? At different stages and phases, whether it be corporate, athletics, churches, education, and building that out. But also understanding that, you know, I never wanted to price myself out of the market, And I never wanted to allow that to get me unfocused on my mission. And so, for example, I don't do a lot of work with bureaus and agencies, even though they're great, some of them, right? They do great work. But for me, I'm focused on my purpose and my mission and what I feel the creator has called me to do. And so, for example, I remember agency said, Inky, we can do this for you. We can get you here. We can do this amount of gigs. We can make you this much money. But you can't do schools and you can't do kids just from a perception standpoint. We don't want that to happen. And I was like, man, with all due respect, I appreciate it, but I'm still going to do schools and I'm still going to speak to kids. And they was like, why? I was like, because I didn't get in it for that. I didn't get in it to just do this and make money. Like, it's, it's people on the other side of my words, and I take that serious, and I appreciate that, and I understand that my platform comes with a level of amazing accountability. I feel like I've been trusted. You know how you feel when you go and you get the call to come into a surgery? I feel the same way when I get the call to go and speak. Right. At the end of the day, we're in the same business, impacting people, yeah. helping people. Yeah. Right. It's just different titles. But at the end of the day, I get the same feeling you get when you go out and do your thing. Yeah. You know, for me, it's it's uh, I like these middle school kids. Yeah. They still got their whole life ahead of them <laughs> yeah. and they haven't made all the bad decisions yet. And they can, they can communicate. You Absolutely. know, they start to understand. And I also remember myself mm-hmm. as a middle school kid. I was a reading disabled kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a you know terrible SAT scores. Uh, they did, this was at a time when they didn't really understand reading disabilities and things like that. And I really felt helpless. You know, I was always like, what did the teacher say? What are we supposed to do? You know, kids, don't bother me. And, and 
And it's very, uh, you know, they used to have these things called SRAs where you, you know, have to, they were color coded and you'd have to read the stuff and then answer the questions based on what you read. And then when you got it right, then you go to the next one and there'd be a, you know, a ton of purple, orange, red, whatever. And you, it'd be going on all year long. And we'd start in the beginning of the year and then all my friends, they'd be like further and further and further ahead <laughs> to the point where I was like humiliated. And why can I not read this stuff? Like I cannot read it and comprehend it. And, you know, when you're in seventh grade and you're, like, starting to feel like, man, God is just not giving me tools to be successful in this world, I had a lot of anxiety. Mm. And now look at me today. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be able to tell middle school kids, listen. Yeah, man. You might not be doing great on the SATs, but that doesn't mean you can't have a life up to and including being a surgeon. Absolutely. If that's what's God's plan for you. So don't let it get you down. Let's figure out a way around your weaknesses. Let's find what your strengths are, and let's move forward. And if somebody can see me and say, okay, I can identify with that person. They look like me. They sound like me. And I have that same problem. I don't read well either. It'll motivate them. And that's what we're trying to do with the big timers is we can get a whole lot of people that are successful, but we look different and we sound different and we have different stories and we come from different backgrounds so that some little person will look at somebody and say, that motivates me. I believe. And that's really all you need is a little bit of, I believe. I had that with my father. I know it doesn't seem like it, but trust me. And because I did trust him, I could. I still had anxiety and everything about it, but it was it was super helpful. Now, in your case, you had a mentor, mm-hmm. and you know, you tell me your story. You, 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 your biggest anxiety was, "I'm not going to be able to pay back my mentor." Tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about how that felt. Yeah, it hurt, you know, because they had helped me so much, and uh, in several aspects of life, even till this day, you know, I still talk to them, and of course, I've been able to do certain things for them that they didn't want, they didn't care about that, but they helped me more than anything because. I apologized to him. I cried, man. I so cried this was like a guy, it. he, like, helped you get to practices, yeah. bought you equipment. A I mean, had a financial yeah. investment in Two you. Of them. And yeah. your mindset as a young person was, I got to pay this back when I get there. And yeah. when you realized you couldn't, yeah. tell, tell, tell us oh, about I that. I cried, man. I cried like a baby. I didn't cry about the surgery. Yeah. I never cried about yeah. my career ending. I cried when I realized that I wasn't going to make it to to the league to help these people because you know they weren't they weren't just well off like that you know I had my teacher you know he had three kids of his own had adopted more three more kids from the Atlanta public school mm-hmm. system that poured into me right I had my coach he worked in construction but he would take time when my family got robbed on Christmas Eve my mother didn't call my pastor my mother didn't call my father you know who wasn't in the picture at the time she didn't call anybody at the church my mother called my coach that signed me and my three younger cousins up in the street when we were kids. And he showed up. And Christmas, I was sitting on the curb, right? I was sitting there, and we were watching kids out doing their thing. And he pulls up in his pickup truck. And he's like, Ink, man, I'm sorry I got the call late. And he gave me a bag like you get from the little grocery store. And it was drawers and socks, right? And he was like, man, I got the call late. It's all I can do. It wasn't even about the drawers and the socks. It was about my guy showed up for me, man. Somebody cared. Like, he cared enough to come here on Christmas away from his family to say, Ink, I got the call from your mom about what happened. Like, this was all I can do. Like, I was grateful for it, but I was more grateful for his presence that he showed up for me. And so my whole life, when I got to college, I wasn't going to do anything stupid because these people had helped me get to that point. And so my injury happened. I cried like a baby 
because I thought about them. And when I was apologizing to him, I was like, man, I'm sorry, man. And it was like, Ink, what are you sorry for? I was like, I can't pay you guys back and do some of the things that I wanted to do for you. And I'll never forget my coach saying to me, he was like, you think we did what we did for you so you can make it to an NFL? I was like, yeah, I thought that was part of it. He was like, man, bump the NFL. He was like, I don't even watch the NFL like that. He's <laughs> like, I did what I did for you so you could become a decent man one day. He said, the only thing I want from you, Inc., is for you to pay forward in the lives of other people the things we've done for you. He said, man, you don't owe us a thing. And at that point, it was like a burden was just lifted, and I focused on my process, and I focused on my purpose. Yeah, I love that story, and and it's the whole concept of pay it forward. I've had Absolutely. not only my father, uh, but I've had other mentors uh, along the path that the same thing. I don't want anything from you but to pay it forward, and I take that responsibility to heart. Absolutely. And I really do feel like God has blessed me beyond my wildest dreams, mm-hmm. and looking for opportunities to pay it for big and small is what gets me up in the morning. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> oh, let me say this. I got to say this. I never got the opportunity to tell you this, and I meant to text you. Uh, when you all did, you know, the big timers event in the environment that you did it in, right? And you all were out there handing out presents to the kids and to the families. You had the U-Haul, and it was awesome. So when I showed up, I parked down the street. And so I'm familiar with that neighborhood, and when I get out of the car, it's some kids, and it looked like a young adult. And they were walking up the street, and they were coming to where you all were and where I was headed. And I'll never forget, guy looked to be like 21 or 22, and he had some kids with him that looked to be probably 13, 14. I'll never forget that young man saying to the kids, he was like, man, somebody do care about us. He was like, see, somebody do care about us. Yeah. Right? And that matters, right? Because that was the thought I had when I was a kid and I was navigating the environment that I was in, you know? Yeah, and that's really, we talk a lot about this, you know, building bridges in our community. You know, there's a lot of powers out there that are trying to convince us that we hate each other for Mm -hmm. a variety of different reasons, whether it's, you know, color or religion or sex or gender or whatever. And the reality is we don't hate each other. We love each other and we all want to be successful. Um, and we all have, um, obstacles. And one of the things that I want to do through big timers is, is, is build bridges so that we can get to know each other. Cause that's really what happens, right? When we spend time together in, in endeavors where we, you know, whether it's a sports team and we're trying to win a championship or whatever, that's where you make your relationships with people, and it's our commonality of purpose that brings us together. You know, not what we look like. And I, you know, I'm always telling my kids like, most people, when you're in a relationship with another person, you're looking for a good friend, a good employee, a good boss. You want something because we're all designed to think of things from ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's how we're built, but you got to understand that uh, we don't hate people for any reason. Um, for most of us, of course, there's always, but, but the vast majority of us, you know, we want our kids to be safe. We want them to have opportunity. We want to live in, in safe communities. We want to have positive relationships with the people that are in our lives. And we need to just take 
take the opportunity to do that on small levels, you know. And so that big timers thing was kind of the first time we had done that. And, um, you know, we learned a lot of lessons. You know, one of the big things, you know, we obviously we had some really expensive toys and we had some not. So how are we going to figure out who gets what, you know? And, you know, we kind of started off with – you know, grades. Mm. But I started thinking about if we do it just by grades, I would never get a good mm. gift because I just wasn't built that way at yeah. that time in my life, you know. And um, anyway, we were sitting there and we were talking about it afterwards. And uh, I had uh, one of my friend's kids was helping. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't know what we were doing. And he's probably middle school. Mm-hmm. And another kid comes up and he says to him, hey, I want I want a bike. Mm-hmm. So the young man that came with us goes and gets the bike. He lifts it up and he hands it over to the other kid and takes the bike away. And we're kind of talking about, oh, he didn't understand that we were trying to save for for the kids with good grades and, you know, that we had a, a procedure that we were going through. And I looked at everybody and I said, you know, we don't know what's going on, but the entire event mm-hmm. may have just been so that he could give that kid that bike yeah. and he's going to remember for the rest of his Absolutely. life. And uh, the young man that came with us giving it, he'll remember it for Absolutely. the rest of his life. And that's really what it's all about. Man, Inky, we could go on forever. I'm going to have you back on the show if you if you would come. Um, this was amazing. I know our audience really appreciates it. Um, I'm looking forward to all the stuff we're going to do this year. Yes, sir. Make sure you guys all go to Instagram, Inky Johnson Motivate, and follow him. It'll be the best move you make uh, in your lives. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio, and we will see you next time. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.